Our second reading comes to us from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 16 through 25. Listen for God's word to you. This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The the usual pattern of uh, church practice for Good Friday is to uh, read and reflect on one of the various accounts of the passion of Christ in the scriptures. But the appointed text this year is uh, John 18 and 19, which um, certainly is a complete account of the passion. And um, I'm sure you would enjoy uh, sitting through two chapters of John's gospel but uh, we did that just uh, last spring, not, not this year, but the previous year. We studied that passage um, in, in detail over the course of six weeks during Lent. And um, what I couldn't do is figure out a way to, to take out of my head all the, all the interesting things that I'm sure you'd love to hear me talk about um, in the course of those two chapters. So uh, for, for all of our benefits, I decided to look uh, a little further afield. The uh, Old Testament uh, passage appointed for tonight is um, from Isaiah. We heard it. It's the fourth of the servant songs in the book of Isaiah. And uh, it doesn't specifically address Jesus' um, passion, but the early church, when they were reexamining the Hebrew Scriptures, looking for uh, a way to understand or to put in context what it was that Jesus had accomplished, they were naturally drawn to that passage because it has so many parallels with what's what the story of the passion is. So it's easy to see when they talk about someone who is wounded for our transgressions and someone who is nevertheless victorious in the end, they turned to that passage and said, well, see, you know, if only we had seen, it was staring us in the face all this time. So we understand why they would pick that passage and say, well, that that's obviously something that's pointing to the passion. But the the epistle reading is different. It's not about the the what or the how of the passion, uh, like the other two texts. It is more about the why. Uh, it is more about what is, what is the purpose that is achieved as a result of the, of the passion. And so, um, what I want to do is look at that tonight. And, uh, w- just to, just to kind of, uh, orient us in the book of Hebrews, or I should say the document, no one knows exactly what it was. It was probably a, a the, the best guess is probably that it was a sermon. Um, and so, if you uh, if you uh, 
if you uh, shop for churches based on the, the quality of the sermon, it was certainly high quality, but on the other hand, it was 13 chapters long. So, um, you know, uh, I'll let you make of that what you will. But uh, in it, the, the writer the writer spins uh, the the bulk of the the letter to this point has been explaining the superiority of Jesus. That Jesus is um, better in every way than the Old Testament figures that that prefigured him. So the the uh, high the the high priest Melchizedek, Moses, uh, even the angels are inferior to Christ, as as the writer goes uh, to explain. And not only is uh, Christ superior, but the sacrifice he makes is superior. Uh, the, that every year the, the high priest would go into the most holy place um, just on the one day, and he would offer the, the sacrifice. And uh, the writer says, and the sacrifice that Christ made uh, was superior to that. And uh, that's, that's what we talked about last night in our Monday, Thursday services, the ways in which uh, Jesus' sacrifice was superior to the sacrifice of the high priest. So, so we, we understand where he's coming from, but now he pivots and he'll spend the rest of the letter explaining what this great sacrifice was for. Now that we understand who Jesus was and what it was, uh, uh, or what it was he achieved, uh, now we need to understand why. And the way that he answers the why question is he says, he says, what can now be done that could not be done until Jesus, um, Jesus is passion. So until the, until the death and resurrection of Jesus, what could not be achieved? That's his way of answering the why. So he says, he says, um, uh, in our reading, he talks about the new covenant, uh, that Jesus has made. And he says, so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, because of this thing, we now, our situation has changed. Because of what Jesus has done, we now have the ability to do something that we did not have before. So he's going to, he's going, he set up the question now, and now he's going to answer it. And if you grew up in church, or if you just hung out with Christians, you understand that, that a lot of people are going to say the answer is that we can go to heaven when we die. And that's true, that's a true statement, but it's not where the writer of Hebrews focuses his attention. Um, I think it's, I think it's compatible with what he says, um, and we'll get to that, but, uh, what he does instead is he, he gives four lets. He says, in view of this thing that Jesus has done, Jesus has made something possible. And so we're going to, we're going to be able to do four different things. And he begins in this passage, he begins each one with the let us, or in some translations it says may we, but let us or may we. He says these four things we can do. So you can imagine they didn't have bullet lists back in the olden days, but there's a bullet list of the four things that he sees coming out of the passion of Christ. So, um, what are they? He says, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. I should have mentioned that as, as I look at this, I see that there's, there's a list of four, but the four is actually uh, two sets of two. The first two items are are not really so much things you do as things you are. So he says that 
because of what Christ has done, we, we, we have the ability to, to be something that we couldn't be before. And then the next two are things that we can do that we couldn't do before. So he says, he says, let us go right in. And, and what he's getting at there is we, we have a new status. We can go into the throne room of God. We can approach God. We can be present to God all the time. And that means, you know, if you're concerned about, am I impertinent? Am I butting in? He says you can do that. But, but more than that, he's saying you can come as you are. He's saying you can be yourself. So, so he's saying that you don't have to dress up. You don't have to put on a happy face. You don't have to try and look better than you are. You can come as you are. That you can be yourself because of what, what Jesus has done. It's never, it's like, it's never as if God was fooled by our, by our religious facade or the, the rituals we go through. God has always seen through them, but we have always felt that somehow that, that they gave us extra credit before a holy God. And he says we don't have to do that anymore because our status has changed. And, and elsewhere in the letter he points out that we are no longer rebellious subjects, but we are children. And the same way that Baron Trump can walk into the Oval Office if he wants to, we have access to the throne room of God. We don't have to dress up. We don't have to put on our fancy clothes. We don't have to look better than we are. So he says we can be ourselves. So let us be ourselves. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. He talks about guilty consciences and that too is changed. He says, he says, if, if you're thinking, well, look, I may have a new status, but I'm aware of the things that I've done wrong. He says, he says, yes, but, but again, look at that image. We can go into the throne room of God because we are children of the king. We have a different status. And as children, we may be aware of something we've done wrong. We can probably all call to mind something terrible we did when we were a child, uh, something that we were afraid our parents would, you know, murder us and then, you know, send us to bed without any dinner or something, you know, both. And, and we can think of those things, call them to mind. But do you remember what your parents did? What they did is they said, it'll be all right. You know, we'll get through this. This, we will figure this out. And at that point, they took on themselves the problem that, that yes, you did the thing, that there was guilt. But he says, he says, because of Christ, that, that that guilt has been taken away from us. That in the same way a parent takes away the child's guilt and says, okay, I will, you know, you've, you've had what, you know, you've been grounded or whatever, but it will be okay. Things will turn out. This does not change our status. That, that everything's going to be okay. So he says, our guilty consciences have been um, sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies been washed with pure water. So that's the first let's. Let us be ourselves. Let us go into the throne room of God. What is the second one? The second one is, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. So he says, let us be hopeful, because until Christ returns, we'll have all kinds of opportunities and reasons to abandon our hope. That, that there will be occasions where we feel like we, we have to give up hope. And perhaps, uh, scholars tell us that maybe, uh, he has persecution in view. That, that it would have been very difficult for people to be Christians in that time. And so maybe he's thinking about persecution. But, you know, uh, you've seen it in the news this, this week, the, the fire at Notre Dame. And one of the articles I was looking at about that said that it was a perfect symbol of Christendom in the West. That, it's the the story of christianity in the 20th century is reflected in this beautiful this beautiful creation from another era that was burnt down 
that it is that it is a shell of its former self. And uh, I, I found that to be a very um, a very powerful metaphor that that I'm still trying to figure out how true it is. But there's obviously some truth in it. And so I would say it's not just persecution. I would say affluence and peace can be just as good a reason to abandon your hope as as persecution. That it doesn't require overt persecution to abandon your hope. You can simply say, you know, I'll settle for this. I've been offered I've been offered eternity and God's favor. But you know what? I got a four K TV and Netflix and you know, I can I can make do with that. That's good enough. So he says, don't abandon your hope. Don't give up your hope. He says, be hopeful. Is he talking about heaven? Maybe this is the place where he's saying that, that you will be raised with Christ in the age to come. So he is talking about the afterlife, perhaps. But I think he's also talking about the meantime. He's talking about, uh, he's talking about the hope that God will be with us and for us in this life as well as the next life. So the first two things are bees. They're be yourself and be hopeful. And the next two are do's. So what's the next one? He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This has got a great word in it. Um, have you ever seen, you know, if you do like the vocabulary quizzes, sometimes you see a word paroxysm. It's a, it's one of those $24 words. And what it means is a big fit. Somebody had a paroxysm of rage. Um, that's the word that's used here. It's, 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 it's uh, to incite. It is to aggravate. He says, let us aggravate one another uh, let us incite one another to acts of love and good deeds it's such a strong word and and um it seems it seems uh, out of place because i think a lot of churches we want the very opposite the thought that the thought that churches should gather that churches should come together so that we can incite one another that we can aggravate one another not to anger and frustration but to aggravate one another to excite one another to to incite one another to acts of love and good deeds i was reading a commentary and it said it said um that this is uh this is maybe uh, it may seem well, well isn't there a potential downside if you do that he says there is zero danger of you doing too much love and too much good deeds so just let your let your imagination go wild excite one another to acts of love and good deeds nobody ever overdoes those things so he says, think big. Do think big. Do excite one another to think more of what our status enables us to achieve because of Christ. And lastly, he says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So the second do is to do help others. He says that there's two ways we can do that. We can meet together. And I often tell people during the summer, like, like they're going to pay attention if I say otherwise, but, but I tell people during the summer, you know, go out. Do the thing you're thinking of doing. Go camping. Go to the cabin. Go do whatever it is that's on your mind. Because for all I know, it's the Holy Spirit that's telling you, you need some me time just with you and the Holy Spirit in the wilderness. Or maybe you just need to get the family together and spend some time unplugged. For all I know, that's the Holy Spirit telling you to do those things. But I also say this, you will be missed. 
because you serve a function in the church. This is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, is that in the church, we have a role, which is to encourage one another. That that a church should be a lot like a 12-step program. We should all come in here. We should say, hi, I'm, and this is my story this week. This week I'm a sinner. This week I'm a saint. And we should be able to encourage one another as we go through the walk of our Christian life. And he says, so do encourage one another. This is why I tell people uh, all the time, if you're not in some kind of a small group, um, then you need to find one. And some people say, well, for me, the choir is a small group and, and so forth. And I, I think that that's uh, important because even in a tiny church, um, you're not going to have the level of intimacy you do in a small group. So every Christian needs to be part of a small group because we can encourage one another at an even deeper level. So encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So there's four things that we can do because of what Christ has accomplished. Because of his death and resurrection, there's four things we can do. We can be ourselves, and we can be hopeful, and we can think big, and we can encourage one another or help one another. We can meet together as a way of helping one another. So four things. Uh, heaven's in there somewhere maybe, but but these are the four things. They're all immediate, but you notice that none of them are try harder. They are get together with other people and let them encourage you. And sometimes if you've had a good week, maybe you can encourage them. So they're not try harder. They're be different. Now, is this a comprehensive list? I don't know, but what I do know and what the passion of Christ reminds us is this is the list that has been paid for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have access to your throne room. We're like John John Kennedy or Baron Trump. We can walk right in. The guards... The layers of security can't keep us out because we are, because of Christ, children of the Most High. Lord, help us to remember these things, that because of that we can, we can be ourselves. We don't have to pretend to be something different than we are. We can be hopeful. We can think big. We can imagine how loving and how much good work can we accomplish. And we can encourage one another. We thank you for all these things that we have because of Christ. Amen.